Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week, we heard from Jennifer Granick of Stanford Law School about how to protect our civil liberties with government surveillance on the increase. This week, our guest is an artificial intelligence researcher who has warned of the risks to consider before machines surpass the intelligence of their human designers. It's bound to think of ways that we didn't think of to do what we ask it to do. And uh, we might find that some of those ways are disastrous. That was the voice of Stuart Russell. He is Professor of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of California, Berkeley. He spoke to the FT's Richard Waters from his Berkeley office. Professor Russell, you wrote, along with Stephen Hawking and one or two other people, two letters that got a lot of public attention. Essentially, you were one of the first to really warn of the dangers of AI. Uh, You know, was artificial intelligence going to destroy the world? Now, you've worked in this field for many years. So what was it you saw back then that made you want to do that? When I wrote the first edition of my textbook, which was 1994... It has a section called, What If We Do Succeed? What if we were right and we do actually build uh, machines that are more intelligent than humans? So I was thinking this in the early 90s and wrote a little section in the book. But it turns out that Alan Turing, who arguably was talking about AI even before it was called AI, I mean, he, he was thinking about it in the late 40s. So in 1951, he addressed the public, BBC Radio 3, He said, if a machine can think, and I'm not going to do the accent, it might think more intelligently than we do, and then where should we be? Even if we could keep the machines in a subservient position, for example, by turning off the power at strategic moments, we should, as a species, feel greatly humbled. And this new danger is certainly something which can give us anxiety. So he was worried that you just wouldn't be able to flip the off switch, that it wouldn't matter? Precisely. And in fact, there have been very cogent arguments uh, by Steve Omohundro and others saying, look, if you, if you have an objective, if a machine has an objective, like, you know, fetch the coffee, and there's a possibility that someone might switch the machine off so it couldn't fetch the coffee, well, part of fetching the coffee is making sure that doesn't happen. So pretty much any objective is very hard to achieve if you're dead. So any machine with any objective is going to defend itself, not because it wants to, because it cares about being alive, but just because it wants, it's supposed to achieve the objective. These all sound like very interesting mind games and very interesting theory, but why is it you actually went public with some of these concerns two years ago? Had something changed that made it more real? So one of the things that has happened in the last few years is that a series of problems that were problems of very long-standing in the field were actually solved. The first one that really struck me was legged locomotion. So how do you get a robot with legs to actually walk and jump and crawl and do all the things that animals do, you know, in a an agile and coordinated way. And we're all familiar with the, you know, the robots that sort of lurch from side to side in a very stiff-legged walk and that was the state of the art for a long time. There were no robots that could run in the sense of actually having their feet leave the ground simultaneously the way, the way that happens when humans run, uh, suddenly it's solved. 
So that was about uh, six years ago or so. And then another set of events happened where, uh, with machine learning techniques, the problem of object recognition was basically solved. So uh, looking at a picture and being able to tell what is the type of the object in that picture. Is it a, a watermelon? Is it a Volkswagen? Is it a lemur or whatever it might be? And then speech recognition, again, you know, for a long time it was a, a niche technology. It worked you know, if you had a very quiet room and if you spoke very slowly with a gap between each word. So it was a real pain to use and it wasn't very useful in, in sort of typical conversational settings or through a telephone. And then that's gradually improved and then in the last couple of years really accelerated to the point now where Dictation systems are better than human typist. One question that comes up is uh, whether you can map out the route that machines have to take to get from where they are now to human-level intelligence. Uh, so can you see from where you're sitting a route that gets to that endpoint? Or does it need some big breakthroughs that we just aren't able to even see yet? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And I, I, my view is that we need breakthroughs. So the machine learning technologies that have, that have brought these advances in vision and speech recognition and, and various other areas, I think they are, they're limited in their capabilities. They don't have the inventive capabilities that humans have to, to build cumulatively more and more complex concepts. So if you think about uh, science as it exists today and science as it existed 5,000 years ago, We've built layer after layer of concepts like mass and acceleration and charge and electromagnetic fields and quantum theory. And we've invented all these concepts out of thin air. And they give us these incredible capabilities. You know, when you look at a smartphone, for example, that's a compendium of technologies that has literally thousands of layers of science and mathematics that have accumulated over all the centuries. And at the moment, we have absolutely no idea how to make machines uh, so we have to do that kinds of things. Yeah, Entirely new concepts are still needed. So, yes, yeah, so we need these breakthroughs, you know, even fairly mundane things. So one of the things humans do is, you know, we make plans over fairly long timescales. Like we make, make a plan to, you know, get a bachelor's degree, which takes four years. And in those four years, you're your human body, which is the thing that you actually get to control, right? the thing that you actually do is you send signals down your nerves uh, to your muscles. That's the only thing you get to do. One of those muscles happens to be your tongue uh, and your vocal apparatus, so, a, so speaking is a consequence of sending nerve signals down to your muscles. So if you measure at the level of individual actions that have to be decided by your nervous system, uh, which is equivalent to what a machine has to do when it sends electrical signals to its motors in a, in a robot, then doing a bachelor's degree is on the order of a trillion actions. And right now we don't know machine, we don't know how to get machines to construct these higher level actions. So, so you look at AlphaGo, it's very impressive. AlphaGo is, is DeepMind's system that, that plays Go at a superhuman level that just beat the world champion. So it looks ahead quite a long way into the Go game, but quite a long way means 20 or 30 steps right, not a trillion steps. And so there isn't as yet any techniques that can go from 20 to a trillion by constructing these higher level actions 
that we all take for granted and we use all the time when we're making our plans. So even though you don't know how problems like this are going to be solved, are you still confident that actually there is an endpoint that human level intelligence is a place that machines will get to? Yes, uh, I do. I, I think these these are examples of the problems that we can at least describe. And the way progress happens is that we we take all the things we know how to do and we put them all together and then we see where it breaks. And that place where it breaks becomes the next big problem for which we need a breakthrough to solve. So so we can see the two or three places where our current ideas would break and then we, we'll work on fixing those. And then we may find new ones that we never thought of before uh, that we still don't know how to how to do. But I think the rate of progress is accelerating. We have a much bigger armory of techniques, uh, both mathematical and sort of empirical machine learning methods. That's what's leading to this accelerating rate of progress and then big problems getting solved along the way. So most people are struggling to understand just how dangerous AI is. When you have some people in the tech industry like Elon Musk at Tesla Motors, Stephen Hawking, telling them that the extinction of humanity is one possible endpoint, then they feel scared, but they don't know how dangerous or how big a threat this is. Because there are other people in the tech world who are telling us, you know, don't worry about this, it's just scaremongering. So how should we think about this? How, how big a risk is it really, do you think? So I, I think it's very hard to quantify. You know, one approach you can take is to ask a whole lot of experts, you know, and you do find a significant percentage who think that creating super intelligent AI could be a net bad thing for the human race, possibly including extinction. Unlike the case of, for example, a giant asteroid that's on a collision course to hit the Earth, where you know we have we now have a network of telescopes that, that tracks all these things, and uh, and people are thinking about how what we might deflect one if we did detect one that really was going to hit the Earth. The physics of that is completely well understood, and you know we would know exactly when it was going to arrive, and we could sort of work through it. The precise story for how a real risk to humanity might arise with superintelligent AI is very difficult to lay out because the issue is precisely the superintelligent AI system finding ways to achieve the objectives that we give them such that the things that they do, those behaviors are basically... Basically, yes. So at least modern, it's bound to think of ways that we didn't think of to do what we ask it to do. And uh, we might find that some of those ways are disastrous us you know and it might for example consume all the oxygen in the atmosphere or it might you know create genetic changes that that lead to the human race uh, becoming sterile who knows what or it might be much subtler than that it might be that the human race gradually becomes more and more and more dependent on machines that it loses its independent vitality so it might not be extinction but it might be a future that is just extremely undesirable from our current perspective. You know, it may be like the slow boiling frog. We may go along that process because each step seems desirable. We are really just starting to take the problem seriously. So, you know, even though Turing warned about it, uh, Norbert Wiener, who was the, you know, the father of cybernetics and the you know, whole modern control and automation industry, he warned about it. Marvin Minsky, who was one of the the four founding fathers of, of AI itself from 1956. Uh, he warned about it. So this is not, 
you know, people outside of AI and computer science who don't know anything. This is, you know, the leading technological figures of the 20th century who were pioneers of the field saying, look, at some point we have to face the fact that when we build super intelligent. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. AI, we better have solved this control problem before we get there. And it's just the last few years, and I think uh, Nick Bostrom's book on superintelligence has motivated a lot of the public interest. In my work, you know, I've now started to devote a significant fraction of time to actually figuring out if we can solve the problem, right? And uh, what, what solving the problem means is building intelligent systems in such a way that they're guaranteed only to do things that are beneficial for us sounds almost like a contradiction because we don't even know what's beneficial for us. And how can you guarantee in advance something that you can't define ahead of time? Because if we could define it ahead of time, if I could say precisely what is it that humans want, what is our objective, right, then presumably I could just code that into the machines and the machines would, would give us what we want, right? And the whole problem, you know, the, the King Midas problem, we might call it, right, is King Midas thought that he wanted everything he touched to turn into gold, but then too late he realized that he really didn't want his food and drink and relatives to turn into gold. So this problem of how we specify objectives and be sure that every possible solution to those objectives is one that we'll be happy with, it's a really difficult problem. I don't think it's solvable. You don't think it's solvable? in that form, right, that, that we could write down the full human race objective correctly and, so, and be sure that the machines would, would, would make us happy. Well, clearly those other, you know, these additional issues, everyone wants different things, our, our wants change over the centuries. I mean, these are, these are going to have to be faced anyway. But by writing down the objective, what I mean is not leaving out something really important, such that the machine finds a loophole through which it makes changes to our world in ways that are irreversible and, we, and we're unhappy with. So I think the, the answer actually is no, we, we shouldn't do that. We can't do that. That's too risky a way to go about things. I think what we need to do instead is actually not build machines into which we put objectives, but to build machines whose job it is to find out what our objectives are. So they know that they don't know the objective when they start out and they're going to be incredibly good at finding out what our objectives are. So this would mean watching us, you know, watching what human beings do, because that conveys a lot of information about our preferences, right? All, all the choices we make, everything, uh, everything that human beings have ever done provides information about our underlying motivations and preferences and choices. Uh, and then they can also engage us in conversation. They can ask us questions. 
you know, would you be happy if I did this or this, right? The machine that, that carried out King Midas's wish, right? What that machine should have said is, well, you don't, you don't really mean everything turned to gold, right? Do you, King? How about like just the things you point to and say abracadabra gold or something? Would that work? And King Midas would have said, sure, yeah, thanks. That's a much better idea. There'll still be an overriding priority in the background that anything they do has to be for the benefit of humanity. So that's sort of law number one, is that the only objective for machines is the, the realization of, of human values, that the machine doesn't have any intrinsic interest of its own, including, sorry, Mr. Asimov, including preserving its own existence. There is no reason to give it uh, a separate motivation to preserve its own existence. The only reason it should want to stay alive is because that will enable it to do things that are useful for us. And... If at some point it becomes more useful for us that it die, for example, the TARS robot in Interstellar uh, realizes to do some cal calculations it's done about masses and gravity and whatnot, that the humans can be saved if it plunges into the, the black hole. So off it goes. No problem, right? That's how we want machines to behave. Uh, and they don't need to have their own self-preservation priority. So since you and others raised these concerns a couple of years ago, how do you feel about what's happened? Most big tech companies give a, a very optimistic scenario and they talk about AI and people working together in some kind of great combination that works out for the benefit of humanity. Do you draw comfort from the way they're talking about this? Well, I mean, it means that they're at least thinking about the issue. So they've formed this thing called the Partnership on AI and depending on which press release you read or, or which article, which, which interview, I think the main motivation is to, to create a, a kind of a de facto ethical standard that companies need to be careful in developing intelligence systems not to build systems that have unfortunate negative consequences. You know, for example, uh, as happened with the, the Tesla that killed its driver, that kind of event can set back the industry a long way. So there is a very straightforward economic self-interest here that by getting everyone together and saying, okay, we're all going to behave ourselves because if anyone goes out on a limb and, and causes some minor catastrophe, uh, that's going to set everyone back. So I think that's part of it. And I think there's also just a, there's a genuine interest in in understanding how to do it right and the idea of that man and machine will just work together in a team it's just a it's another way of saying the same thing that the values of the machine need to be aligned and the machine needs to be working for us and not against us because you can't have a team you know Right, man and machine, you know, person and lion, right? Yeah, we just have person and lion teams working together. Well, you know, if the lion doesn't agree and has a different objective, like it's hungry, then that's not a very good team. And the same problem can happen with machines whose values are not aligned uh, with those of the humans. So these aren't just press releases we're getting from the tech industry. Do you think they're actually wrapping their heads around this problem and the big issues? Even if it's window dressing, it's better than nothing. But yes, I think I think they are. And we're seeing papers coming out from Google, both uh, here in the Bay Area and the DeepMind Group in, in London, and from OpenAI, which is the nonprofit research center that Elon Musk and Sam Altman and others started in San Francisco. So we're, we're seeing papers come out from these groups 
that actually address the technical problem of safety. How do we make sure a robot doesn't do this or how do we make sure it does do this? What about you? What about your own views? Are you more confident than you were two years ago? Have your views changed at all? I think I am more confident, yeah, because I see uh, you know, the work that we've been doing has actually led to some interesting conceptual progress that I didn't really expect. So one of the big changes, and you know, AI has been defined for quite some time now uh, as the science of how to build uh, rational agents, which means you know, machines that you can provide an objective to, and they will come up with optimal solutions that achieve that objective. Right? And this is this is pretty widely accepted, and it's pretty much the same definition that that control theorists have for control systems, and the economists have for for rational behavior in it in economic settings. And uh, my view now, resulting from the work we've been doing, is that this is just wrong, right? That because it's come, coming back to this idea that you're not going to be very good at specifying that objective. You don't want to put it into the machine and have the machine assume that this objective is absolutely the correct thing that it has to optimize. The machine has to allow for uncertainty about what it is the human really wants, that it's in some sense that the true desires of the, of the humans will always remain somewhat hidden. You, you will learn more about them over time, but the machine should never be certain about the objective because it's, it's that single-minded pursuit. I have to admit, if you and I were sitting here with a machine that was far smarter than either of us, I would still be very concerned. But you think there's a way? I, I think there is a way, yeah. I think it's, it's early days yet, but I, I'm feeling that Progress is happening and understanding is, is, is going to uh, occur at a rapid rate on this problem. And it might be the case that at some point we realize that actually, despite these more robust ways of thinking about what AI could be, there's still a problem and the problem can't be resolved by, by more complex or sophisticated notions. If that turns out to be the case, then we're going to have a very serious debate, a little bit like physicists and, and the problems they went through with, with nuclear weapons. And uh, because the economic incentives are so great to push ahead with the technology, um, you know, if you, if you could really build human-level AI, you know, that one invention is worth more than the GDP of the whole world. So good luck with flicking the off switch. So you're flicking the off switch off of the inventors, right? Of the of the industry in, in itself, and uh, that that's going to be a really difficult debate. So there, there's a very famous science fiction book called Dune, by Frank Herbert, and and it's set far in the future, and they have gone through this, and the human race has you know has survived by the skin of its teeth, a sort of momentous galactic conflict uh, between humans and machines. And their solution after that is to say it's too dangerous to go down this path at all because once you go down it, you can't stop. So we are no longer going to make machines. In, they, they say, thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of man. And it's sort of an 11th commandment. And uh, that's how they avoid the risk. With that thought, Professor Stuart Russell, thank you very much. Plenty to think about. Thank you very much, Rich. Nice talking to you.
We'll be back with another episode of Tectonic next week when you can hear the views of tech investors Kai-Fu Lee and Joy Ito on how to solve some of the social and ethical problems posed by fast-moving developments in artificial intelligence. If you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at tectonic at ft.com. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Amy Keane.